Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me today, and we have a terrific show on tap for you. Brian Scalabrini, former NBA player, NBA coach, now a broadcaster at NBC Sports Boston, also my colleague over at Yahoo Sports. He joins me, and we get into all the topics. We talk about the Cavaliers, their recent win streak, Memphis, their decision to fire David Fisdale, Devin Booker, how he's playing in Phoenix, and of course, we dive into the ball family drama. I apologize for that. It's at the end of the pod. If you want to listen to the other stuff first, that's great. But we do get into the Ball family with the LeVar Ball rule in L.A. And, of course, LiAngelo being pulled out of UCLA. So all that more with Brian Scalabrini. That's coming up next. This is the Vertical Podcast. Hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring in our expulsion. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. My guest this week, uh, NBA veteran, former NBA assistant coach. Uh, you can catch him on NBC Sports Boss, in addition to the great work he does with us uh, over at Yahoo Sports. Brian Scalabrini. Scal, welcome uh, back to the podcast. Yeah, you know what? I feel like I'm not like a guest. I feel like I'm part of the show that periodically takes time off. 
<laughs> that's that's <laughs> how I like to think. I take months off in between uh, me doing this podcast. Well, it is it is weekly, you know, and I I do try to like t- hit take the show on the road. I was in Utah with Quinn Snyder, and you know, you go down south a little bit, do some stuff with people. So, so let me ask up. you: when you like when you're struggling for guests, is that when you? Call me? Is that how no. this works? You know what? No, not to pull people too far behind the curtain, but people gravitate towards what we're about to do here, it seems like. When I look at uh, podcast numbers, you know, they gravitate towards us talking about um, whatever's big in the NBA right now. It, it's it's not as popular, frankly, when you do uh, something with a, a Quinn Snyder or another coach or another player. Uh, this this seems to resonate for whatever reason. So yeah, that's because we are both unfiltered and Un- yes. not to be confused yes. with undisputed or all the other uns in the world right now. <laughs> we are, is there an unfiltered? Because maybe that's already taken. <laughs> I think it is taken somewhere. Dang I, it. I'm, I'm blank and nodded, but, uh, yes, uh, frequent guest or occasional guest, Brian Scalabrini joins me. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the Cavaliers here who are the, the story of the NBA over the last couple of weeks. Won their 12th straight. On Monday, um, they've been beating up on some of the lesser teams. They've got what I look at is a couple of quality wins in there. The win at Detroit was terrific. They beat Miami. That was a good win for them. What are your takeaways from what you're seeing from Cleveland over the last couple of weeks? So basically, offensively, they've gotten on the same page. I really like LeBron at point. I always thought he was a point. Now, instead of hiding it, saying he's a small forward by giving the ball up a few times every game, he's just embracing the fact that he's the guy bringing up. He's the guy initiating offense. I, I hate to say it, but he is having probably one of his better seasons as far as statistically. And if you think about offensively what they're able to do with all the shooting and all the spaces they provide for him – all they had to do, literally all they had to do was give multiple efforts, a few more possessions a game to get a winning streak like this. They've just turned up the notch on the defensive end just a little bit. And I'm not saying they're engaged for 48 and they're flying all over the place, creating multiple efforts. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying they have raised their level of play in the defensive end, maybe two notches, and this is the result. And then when we talk about levels of the Cavs and we talk about when they're struggling and everyone loves to see the Cavs struggle because they love to hate LeBron James, we always have to be reminded of what he is capable of doing and, and, and not only for his own game, but what he's capable of doing for his teammates. Okay, so let me ask you this then because I was having a conversation with David Griffin last week and you know, the one thing that Griff told me was, look, don't look at the minutes for LeBron. They're not a big deal. LeBron wants to play 47 minutes a night. The number of minutes are not an issue. What could be an issue is what he has to do during those minutes and the amount of energy he's expending. And he's expending a lot of energy to help get the Cavs wins during this streak. I mean, you go to the Memphis game where he had to score seven points in the last 90 seconds for the Cavs to win. Uh, mm-hmm. Go all the way back to the Washington game, national TV a few weeks uh, back when he had to, when he went nuts with his uh, stat line. Is it a concern or should it be a concern to the Cavs that he's having to be not just a 37 minute per game player, but a 37 minute per game guy who's got to kind of strap this team on their, his back to get them wins? So it depends on where you come from with that. Do you believe what you know that if they go to the NBA Finals, and maybe this year during the playoffs as well, it's not going to be a cakewalk like he had last year in the Eastern Conference. So you know he has to get used to carrying the team. Maybe the best way to do that is to have those stretches. Now, I'm not saying we're seeing LeBron James 
playoff form LeBron James for the 41 minutes that he's playing during the game, I'm seeing there are times in there where he is getting taxed a little bit. But he might be our generation's greatest athlete. He's also probably the best conditioned athlete. He takes care of himself. He focuses all on his body. I've heard from people that the minutes that he plays is predicated by like more like sports science and not really by Tyron Lue or even LeBron James. So mm. I, I never look at his minutes and as a, wow, he's going to be really tired in the finals. I know that some people will use that as an excuse for the NBA finals. He's really tired for whatever reason. But he, he is more than capable of showing me that he can go to a level of in the finals where, yeah, of course, anybody that's doing what he's doing at six foot nine, 260 pounds is going to be a little bit winded in go, during like the Golden State Warrior NBA Finals. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that, but I don't think it's going to be a wear and tear thing for him, at least not this year. And you start looking at the other guys that he was drafted with in that class. Those guys are all washed up right now. And D Wade's having, uh, actually, the last, his last 10 games, he's been really good. I thought he was almost washed as well, especially last year in Chicago. But, it's just like the rest of the, of his classmates during that draft are, are done out of the league. Like can't even compete anymore. And he's still at a very high level. He's been great. D Wade as a backup point guard during the stretch. That, that may have been that may be kind of the new home for him uh, in that spot. But the, what would help LeBron is if this defense uh, team defense is real and if it's able to extend beyond these last couple of weeks. I mean, for the first few weeks they were dead last in the league in efficiency. These last two or three weeks during the streak. They've been, I think, in the top 10 uh, during that time. But I, I don't know. I mean, is it is is this defense sustainable uh, for Cleveland? I mean, they still don't have a lot of plus defenders out there on the floor. And it's not like when Isaiah comes back, he's going to add a plus defender to the mix. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of effort, to be honest with you. And I know that like people use that as cliche. And I try to stay away from that. But the reality is... In the NBA, to be good on the defensive end, you have to make multiple efforts. And people think, when I say they're not doing that, they think it's zero. It's not zero. I'm telling you, the difference between being really good defensively is giving 85%. And the difference between being really bad is giving 78%. And that gets you beat by 20 in the league because so many teams are so good. And especially now with the spread pick and roll and moving the ball and, and driving closeouts, if you're not willing to, to play at a high level, if you're not willing to make multiple efforts, push yourself past you know, effort one, effort two on the defensive end, you're going to lose. Now I feel like they're a little more sustaining in their multiple efforts. And I, it's not – that's why when I look at them, is it – are they incapable of doing it or are they just not not doing it? And you look at these guys, I think like Jay Crowder is a good example. He's a hard-playing guy. There's no way when it comes down to it to in the playoffs that he's not going to be a multiple-effort defensive guy. We know LeBron can, can flip the switch and be a multiple-effort defensive guy. And I think Isaiah is only going to help them do what you just said. He's going to take a pressure off LeBron and, and basically his usage on the offensive end. You know, and give the Cavs credit and Ty Lue credit too. What one of the reasons that they've had, you know, kind of a defensive turnaround is they changed up the way they played some, especially on on pick and roll defense. They've become a, a blitzing team on pick and roll defense, which and you can explain this further, but effectively means you're you're going after the ball handler with with multiple guys, and it's been effective. Um, is is that do you look at that as being a reason for their defensive uh, change? Yeah. So it it goes. They started doing that. In the, I think it was the Houston game against James Harden. And even though mm. they lost that game, it was one of their better games as far as multiple effort. I mean, I guess, you know, Houston's really good. They, they have Harden, they make big plays down the stretch. So they lost that game. I think they lost by four, if I'm not mistaken. And then what happened is 
they say like, okay, this is our identity. If we can do it against Houston, which is to me the best offensive player in the NBA and pretty much the best offense in the NBA as far as like having to spread you out, you know, compare that with the Warriors right now as well. They're, they're up there. But if we're going to beat this team, this is how we have to play. We got to get the ball out of people's hands and we got to rotate and we got to rotate to defend. And since then, I agree with you. I was at that Nick game. Uh, because the Celtics were playing Brooklyn the next night. They did the same thing with them, and they got picked apart for three quarters. But then all of a sudden, they turned the switch. They started making a couple shots, and they picked it up on the defensive end, and the Knicks looked frazzled. They looked frazzled down the stretch. So the question is, are they doing this, and they're eating on these teams that aren't loaded like the Golden State Warriors? Are, are they looking at this saying, well, this is the best way for us to get through the regular season. But ultimately, I believe that if you blitz the Golden State Warriors, you're going to be in trouble. I do. Mm-hmm. Because I think you're going to throw back to Draymond Green, who's one of the better decision makers at his position. He's going to drive. He's going to find Clay Thompson in the corner for a wide open three. Now, that might work when you're playing against Charlotte. Or that might even work when you're playing against Drummond, who doesn't roll and he can't make a decision out there at, uh, you know, at this point in time. But I don't know if it's going to work against the Golden State Warriors. So even though I'm loving what the Cavs are doing – I'm not sure they'll ever be able to get over that hump. And it really makes it interesting with what they do with the Boston Celtics because we all know Al Horford is an excellent decision maker when he gets the ball at the high post. If they blitz Kyrie and they're put in rotation, you better believe it with the Celtics shooting improving the way it is and Al Horford making plays, it's going to make for a much better series than what we saw last year. Yeah. The other news out of Cleveland this week is that Derek Rose has come back to the team. He's still not ready to play. He's been rehabbing that ankle injury, but he's back. And, you know, listening, the comments coming from the Cavs, Scal, it's, it's a glaring example of why the transcript does not always equal what was said. And what I mean by that is I read that LeBron James said he was excited to have Derek Rose back. And then I watched one of the video clips that one of the reporters had with their iPhone out. When LeBron says, yeah, we're, we're excited to have him back. It was one of those deals. It was like, you know, pro forma, like, yeah, we're excited to have him back. I, I, I've maintained, Scal, that th- what Derek Rose did is quitting on his team. He did it in New York and did it again. And I don't know how you come back from that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know how you come back from that if you're Derek Rose. The NBA now is much more forgiving than I think was 10 years ago. I think they'll be fine with that. The, the only issue I think is, is Derrick Rose uh, at the point in his career where he'll get a DMP? Think about it. Mm-hmm. Who's playing point guard for them? LeBron. Nominally, nominally, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think Calderon will play, but if Isaiah Thomas comes back, I can see him playing a lot off the ball. Like, Derrick Rose is not really an off-the-ball player. D-Wade comes off the bench, and he does a great job of initiating offense. I Like, I, I I get they'll make the adjustment for Isaiah Thomas, and I hate to say this about Derrick because I love Derrick. I think he's an awesome guy. I think he's misunderstood and all this other stuff, but at least from my own eyes, and I haven't been around him for a while as well, but I, where does Derrick Rose fit in with the Cleveland Cavaliers? I, I don't see it, and I wonder if deep down inside he knows that as well. And I wonder if deep down inside – he thought this was an, an opportunity to, you know, reestablish his reputation in the NBA as a, you know, uh, a thirty-minute a game guy, a guy you can count on, and it has been anything but that. So I can see why he's disappointed. I personally would not be surprised if he is not on this team sometime during this year. I don't know yeah. if it's like he gets traded or he gets bought out or something like that. But I do think that he's going to play 
somewhere in the NBA. I think someone's going to give him a ch- chance. I, maybe that's uh, Minnesota just bringing him in as a backup and seeing what he can do. I just think I just don't know if, once Isaiah Thomas is back. I don't know if this Cleveland Cavalier team's a good fit for him. Well, I, I think the only team that would bring him in might be a Minnesota with, with the relationship that Thibodeau has with them because he's you know just if you look at the player he is and not what he's done up until this point he's a non-threat from beyond the three-point line he's a a, a subpar defender I, I agree with you there's a lot going on with Derek Rose that that sometimes he gets a little bit too much flack uh for it but you know if you just look at what he is as a player uh, I mean you you can't play him off the ball in Cleveland because he's not going to be a threat from beyond the three-point line he's got to have the ball in his hands to be effective and how many teams in the league scout are going to be willing to you know put the ball in Derek Rose's hands and and count him to make plays yeah not at this point not many and you know like so if you're a rebuilding team obviously you're going to go with young and a guy that's going to be part of your future if you're a playoff team then you probably already have guys that are in place so it's a tough situation for him you know I mean I just think and also you know noting that I think Adidas has, if he's on any type of basketball roster for the next eight years, he'll get $13 million a year. I don't think he's passing that up. So there's no, I don't think he's going to retire from basketball. The thing is, how's he going to find his place in the league nowadays? Could be a big star in China. That's all I'm saying. Oh I mean, my gosh. Could, he really could. He, him and Stefan Marbury should get together and figure this whole thing he, out. As, as Jimmer has shown, don't need to defend in China. Don't need uh-uh. to, to do anything <laughs> over there. All right, let's move on. Uh, Memphis last week became the second coach in the first month plus. Uh, to a second team to fire its head coach in the first month plus of the uh, season. Uh, effectively, I mean, there's a lot we can unpack here, but effectively Memphis chose Mark Gasol uh, over uh, David Fisdale. The relationship between those two, uh, which I reported last week, is is toxic. Um, you know, the, I don't know if they weren't not talking to each other, but they were far, far from being uh, on the same page. And Gasol... You know, Fisdale's a very uh, outspoken guy. He's going to praise players, but he's going to criticize them as well. And some of the criticisms I was told uh, really resonated badly uh, with Marcus Saul. What did you think of Memphis's decision to let Fisdale go? You know, help me out with this one a little bit, just so I sure. can have more context to this. Now, uh, was Gasol upset that he was not treated the same way that Mike Conley was treated? And then also... Like did Gasol Gasol lose his edge as far as like the Piper player? Because I can't imagine a coach like watching. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark, watching Marcus Gasol play day in and day out. What would make me think that I don't want to play him? Like he's always he's in defensive position all the time. He makes great decisions on the offensive end. Him and Conley had a great two man game uh, going. I don't know, you know, why would anybody as a, as a coach? I don't understand what he could bring so where you're thinking like I don't need this guy out there and if you criticized him as good as he is 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 it one of those things where he was just too sensitive or why would Fizzle criticize him more than he would criticize others or did uh, Mark just take it that way well I think Mark took it that way and, and look we when we think about not playing Mark that kind of boils down to the Brooklyn game right when he sat uh-huh. in the last 12 minutes if you look at his numbers though he's been a 34-minute-per-game, 35-minute-per-game player really since he got to Memphis uh, uh, in his first year. He's always been right around. He's still the same uh, this season. But here's the thing about Gasol. He has a very big ego. He does. And when you you, you stick at him, and one of the critiques I, I was told that really bothered him 
was some criticism, and I'm blanking on the specifics of it, but some criticism that Fisdale made about European players and, and the European style of play. Marc Gasol takes a lot of pride in, in being a great European player, and, and I think that uh, stuck with him. You asked about the, the critiques compared to Conley. I don't know specifically if they if they were the same number of critiques, but Conley doesn't. Conley's not as sensitive, and Conley I don't think is as is prone to take it thing like things like that personally as Marcus Saul was. So I think that was kind of you know that 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 personality conflict was at the genesis of it. So okay, so then that that changes my like entire outlook on a Marcus Saul because I think of him as an elite player of this league. When I watch him play, it's rarely do I watch him and say. I don't like the way he plays. I don't think he impacts winning. He does all those things. So, But if he's sensitive to Coach Fisdale's criticism, then it was probably just a bad match, and that's Memphis's decision to go with the player that you paid $110 million to versus the, the new coach in the start of his second year. So, you know, like, I, organ- I, I, I really don't like to get into, like, what organizations should or shouldn't have done because mm-hmm. I think to really, to be honest with you, you have to be there every single day to truly, truly understand it. And for us just to say, like, well, they should have done this or they should have done that, I think time will tell. And, you know, agree, right? We can we could do the same thing about any argument in the NBA, but it's different when you think you talk about players winning an MVP or something like that. I think with coaches, that dynamic is so fragile in the NBA, and as an organization, you have to. As a guy who has been on an organization that wasn't at one point, you have to be on the same page if you're going to have success. So I, I like I commend them for making their decision. Now let's see how it all plays out. Even though what's the strangest thing about that is I have been hearing that Gasol's name has been on the trading block. So why would they at that point do both? If 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 you're going to move a guy or else he's so unhappy he doesn't want to be in Memphis anymore, if you're going to move a guy, then why move on your coach? Well, I for two, a couple things there. Um, I, I don't think that Memphis has been shopping Gasol. I do think that teams have been actively calling, although from what I understand it to be, the offers have not been have been very underwhelming up until this point. Now, I agree with you that you know, it's tough to kind of nitpick into an organization and what they're thinking, but you know, I don't know what you expected from David Fisdale. David Fisdale came out of the Miami organization. He was Eric Spolstra's top lieutenant, and I can tell you from talking to Spolstra, you know, both publicly and privately, he loved uh, David Fisdale. David Fisdale was was uh, a very well respected guy on his bench. He coached pretty well, I thought, last year uh, with the team. And this year, they were scuffling in large part because Mike Conley wasn't playing. And yeah. what do you want the guy to do when your star pl- one of your star players is out and the team over the last you know couple of years, in, last summer with Zach Randolph, has been progressively getting gutted and, Scal, not replacing it with quality young talent. That's been a major problem in Memphis. They sure. haven't supplemented that roster with good young players. So my biggest issue with firing Fisdale is, is kind of like, well, you you want to be better. Are you helping him be any better? Could anybody have done better with that roster? I just think that they've kind of shied away from the narrative that it was Gasol versus Fisdale. To me, that's all it can be because you can't expect a guy to win when his star player is out and there's not a lot of depth on that roster. Yeah, and they got, and I'm not one to like pick on the contracts or anything like that, but if you give $95 million to Chandler Parson, 
and he's always hurt, and he was hurt before he got there, and now he's hurt now. Like, I just don't see how that's David Fisdale's fault. Now, that's one dynamic, but the dynamic of getting along with your best player is an important dynamic in the NBA. So, and you know, maybe Fisdale does believe that Europeans are soft, and I'm, I'm not. I can't win with Euros, and and maybe that makes Gasol. You know, how would you feel if you're Gasol? You're one of the better players in the league. And your coach doesn't believe in you. So I know there's like that dynamic we could talk about all day long too. But I mean, I don't, I look at this roster and say, without Mike Conley, I don't see how they're good. And then you add the fact that Chandler Parsons never plays because he's always hurt. And when he does, he's like coming back with minute restrictions and stuff like that. It's just like right now, their team is not a team that's looking to win now, but they're sort of in that middle of the road. Uh, like in purgatory in the NBA, right? You're like not good enough to make the playoffs. Or even if you do, you get a bad pick and you don't improve yourself. So I don't know what their direction is, but they got to sort of uh, figure that out because it's not like this is a huge market with a huge TV deal and they can just like float through this time. They need people to come out to the games. This is like, it's the type of, of environment that they have and the grindhouse and all that stuff is all gone now. You know, what are they going to do with their team moving forward? Well, that's a big question because uh, they're at a crossroads, like you said, and the the decision and how you get out of that crossroads and where you go depends on what they do with this all, right? He's 32 years old. Uh, he's still a high-level guy who's attractive on the trade market. Uh, but Memphis, to this point, has been resistant in, in making a move. And, you know, look, there, there are outside basketball reasons for why they might be resistant. And, and the biggest reason is that's a team that's in danger of being moved. It is. I mean, yeah. the lease on uh, the FedEx Forum relaxes significantly after the 2021 season. And lo and behold, what did we just see just this past week? Key yeah. Arena in Seattle is going to be refurbished, supposedly in time for 2020. Now, the noise they're making in Seattle is that it's all about uh, the NHL. Uh, but you know, don't think for a second that a refurbished Key Arena wouldn't be able to welcome an NBA team in there. So that's th that looms as a possibility for Memphis that if they trade Gasol, and if they really bottom out, and if they start to lose even more money than they're losing right now, which is a lot, almost $40 million, according to some of the reports I've read, which is still a loss, even if you factor in the $32 million that they're getting in luxury tax or in revenue-sharing payments, there's a fear, and, and it's a legitimate fear, that if, if this team really bottoms out, they could wind up losing the team. Yeah, obviously, and... You know, whatever direction they're going moving forward, it has to, they have to figure it out. If it's, if it's rebuilding through the draft and rebuild through the draft, if you need another superstar, then that's what you have to do. If it's trading the soul to try to get a first round pick that could be a lottery pick, then you have to do that. But whatever that decision is, and maybe it doesn't, I would have loved it. I think David Fisdale would have done great with a bunch of young players. And, you know, who's to say that they think David Fisdale is too good of a coach to be a team that will tank, you know, and maybe he's not about that. And maybe he's expressed to them that he's not about that. So, I, you know, like there's a lot of dynamic that goes into who you pick as your coach and what direction your team is going, you know, and, and building culture. Like, like here's a great example of that. Last year, right, the Miami Heat were struggling. I mean, they were struggling and they – turn their entire season around, they almost make the playoffs. And now the reward of that is they pay all these guys. Did they really take a step forward? They, I, I like their pick in Bam out of Bayou, but it's not. It's a lot different than having like a top five pick. Like, was it the best move to like with Miami and all their culture of like, we need to win and Spolster being as good of a coach as he is. We need to continue to push forward and we need to win. It's not our culture. 
But at the end of the day, like they're kind of locked in with these contracts. I don't like how much better did Miami really get from last year? They're not piggybacking off of their thirty and eleven turnaround since that the time when they were eleven and thirty. So I just I really wonder, you know, like when a team is deciding what to do and move forward, are they really deciding the best way to get the best players to win a championship? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up culture because that kind of plays into the next topic I want to jump into, and that's uh, Devin Booker, uh, the Suns guard, who is having a uh, tremendous uh, last uh, few games. He scored 38 against Boston in a loss, 46 against Philadelphia in a win. And, you know, Scal, you've seen up close and personal when he played in Boston when he had 70 uh, last season, just how good this guy can be offensively. But he's also someone that's basically got an unlimited green light uh, to shoot uh, when he's in Phoenix. When you look at Devin Booker, do you see a franchise player, somebody you should be building your team around, like, say, a Giannis in Milwaukee or something like that? Or is he more of a supporting part that uh, is is putting up a lot of numbers because he's being given the freedom to do it? So I, I think he's like a piece, right? I don't think he – like, so the way I look at these guys, and this is like – relatively new at probably maybe last season now to this season is the Giannis, the LeBrons, the Kevin Durant's of the world. I think that those guys, and, and we can, I'm probably leaving guys out of this, right? Like yeah. Guys who are physically dominant. Russell Westbrook will be another one physically dominant in the NBA. Uh, those guys, you could totally build a team around and say like, these are the guys, but the, but the the Bookers, the Currys, you, uh, the uh, Kyrie Irvings would be another one. I think, like I think that those guys are great when you have like the right pieces around them. I think it like makes them even better. I don't think that maybe his like Devin Booker's stats will would be wouldn't be as good if he had better pieces around him. There's no question about that. But I, I can't put him in that category of like the guys who are just like physical specimens and. In a way, I would even put like James Harden in that. If you think about how big he is and how strong he is going to the basket and how guys physically can bounce off of him. So I look at like those physically dominant players and how they can, how they can carry teams even when, you know, like the game, like you can play phenomenal defense. And I just saw Giannis last night, right? Al Horford is, in my opinion, one of the best defensive players in the NBA at his position. Al could play the best possible defense in the world on Giannis and he's Giannis is still scoring and he's scoring with ease because you know, if you're 50, 50 with Giannis and he jumps and elevates and sticks his arm in the air, it's way higher than anything that Al Horford can do. You can yeah. play great defense against LeBron, but when his shoulder hits your chest and you bounce off just six inches and he goes up, like there's nothing you can do about it. Russell Westbrook, you can be back in transition. Like all these guys, they can dominate the game with their skill and they can dominate physically. Devin Booker is in the other category of he won't be a, like a franchise player. He'll, he'll be a big piece of what they're doing, but you got to have pieces around him or else it, it's going to be one of this thing, this one-man show with the neon green light that makes some crazy shots, but you can't really get over the hump because everything to, is, is dealt on you know, making tough shots, and at the end of the day, that's a really hard way to win. I think what's important for Devin Booker too, in addition to getting you know off that kind of just you know just shoot whenever you want and you know maybe establishing more of a a, a structure on the floor is, and I preface this comment, Scal, by saying I'm not in Suns locker rooms all the time, but the, the handful of times that I'm at Phoenix games and 
I'm in the locker room post game. It's you know, usually they lose, and it doesn't seem to be a very down locker room after they lose. It's not. I I just I get the sense just being in that locker room that they don't take these losses as maybe personally as they should or as hard as they should. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, other teams I'm in the locker room when when they lose, it's 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 bad. And and I actually ran this by uh, some people that have you know, work for the Suns over the last uh, couple of years. And and they agreed with me. They you know, one guy, you know, texted me back and said that the Suns are just like, the locker just a bunch of dudes loving the NBA life. Like that's yeah. just kind of kind of what they are right but now. But Booker and, is Booker about that because he, I can't say you, specifically. I don't yeah. he didn't look like that to me when I was in there and I was in there at that Boston game last week as well. He he didn't look like it there, but it was just a very loose locker room a, yeah. after a loss like that and and in general, I think that's a, a culture that needs to change soon. Yeah, but the only way you're going to do that like they're they're building through the draft. That's what they're trying to do, right? So the question is, can you lose all those games and all of a sudden turn it around and all of a sudden be winners? Like I, like the Philly experiment to me was a failed experiment. It was it was successful because they Embiid they got Embiid they sat him out for two years. He wasn't really a part of that losing. He gets there the Philly when he plays. Obviously they're good, and then when he doesn't play, they were uh, they were bad, right? with Simmons, he didn't deal with any losing. He sat out all last year. And now like these guys are playing and they're only what they know is good basketball, but like Nerlens knew what Nerlens and Okafor, right? Part of two really, really bad seasons, or I guess Nerlens was part of three seasons and uh, Okafor is now going into the second season. Bad, just a bad vibe of losing games and it doesn't matter. Those guys have not turned out to what you think, right? That did, did the culture of losing and tanking hurt those guys in their development moving forward? Nerlens thought he was going to get $100 million, and he turns down $70 million bucks because he thought that like he was going to get rewarded. For, for what? Dallas looked at him and said, what have you done like, that actually impacts winning? Uh, do you even know what impacting winning is? So mm. I'm not sure the idea of tanking and being bad is good. And I thought last year – Phoenix was the worst in the NBA at it. I think they were just blatantly like losing games on purpose. And then what is their yeah, they reward? Yeah. They get Josh Jackson, who stiff arms the Celtics for whatever reason and makes excuses why he doesn't want to work out. How about his excuse the other day? Uh, me and my agent, we miscommunicated, and I wasn't prepared to work out. Well, what have you been doing since you got out of school getting ready for the NBA draft? Like, what, I mean, what do you need to do to prepare to work out? Like, do you need to stretch out? What, what exactly do you have to do through your mind to get ready to, to work out? So think of, think of the culture of Josh Jackson, which I loved Josh Jackson coming out. I think he's a good player. But you're just going to stiff a team on a workout who has a number one pick? How is that just okay now? And that's the guy that the Suns end up drafting? I don't know. I, I wonder if if – all this losing and uh, will all this stuff change f for them? And can these guys one day just become winners in this environment? And I, I know you know this, but that 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 Josh Jackson decision to stiff them that pissed off the Celtics something something serious. Well, right? I mean, this, I mean, like you just that's just I wouldn't do that to my neighbor, my neighbor who <laughs> lives right across the street from my house. Like invite them over and be like, no, nah, I'm not talking to you. I mean, and that not when you have to fly across the country. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely like. Who thinks that that's okay? Like, who approves that? You know, like, 
I heard that the Julius Randle workout here in Boston was historically bad because the Lakers picked after the Celtics, and he didn't want to go to the Celtics. He wanted to go to the Lakers. He loved Kobe, whatever. But at least he showed up. Even if he dogged it, he went through the motions, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what is a player, like, stiffing the number one? And I get, like, I get the the, the Lonzo Ball one. I, I, I get that one, right? He wants to go to L.A. They got the number two pick. I get right. he want to stiff the Celtics, whatever. But he never he never – made any like hey i want to go work out for them i want to be the number one pick he's like no you know i want to go to the lakers they must have gave him some type of guarantee i just i don't know what's going on with their team and it, it would be i the thing about it they got dragon bender they got chris they got uh booker i mean they should have like a group of of young guys that can develop and are they have they really are these guys really going to turn it around i don't know yeah yeah. All right. Let's but finish. I do like. But I do like Booker. I think he's a yeah. good player. I think he'd be a nice piece to a lot of good teams out there. But yeah, we'll he see. can be a perennial All Star on, on a good team sure. if he develops. Sure, Maybe not a franchise guy, but a perennial All Star there. All right. Let's finish with uh, your good pal, Levar Ball, who um, is in the in the news for. <laughs> wait, I wait, mean, wait, wait, wait. This has got to be your producer telling you to talk about him, right? <laughs> why, why, why do I, why do I have to talk about him again? I thought, no, like, I thought me and you made it like we did a pinky promise that, <laughs> that we don't care. Like me and you, we don't give two, you know, what's about LeVar ball. Like why are we well, continue to talk about him? I, I don't care about LeVar ball, big baller brand. I'm better than Jordan. My son's better than Curry. I don't care about that. What I do think is relevant. It, well, two things. Number one, and this is what I want to talk about first is, the, the Lakers knew LeVar Ball rule and and basically saying that when someone's in the media, in the family area, they can't be interviewed. Now, ordinarily, that's not an issue. Nobody, you know, very few reporters go up to the media area and interview family members. Did they do? It's generally print reporters who you know just want some context, some background on, sure. on a player. LeVar's changed all that. You've got guys with camcorders and, and iPhones walking up to him, asking him a leading question or asking him any question, really. And him popping off, and all of a sudden, that's the the news of the day. Now, this is becoming an issue because LeVar, as you would expect, has turned his criticism uh, towards Luke Walton last month, saying that the Lakers don't know how to coach uh, Lonzo Ball at this point. I mean, is is this... <laughs> yeah, but he followed that up with, you just got to tell Lonzo to go get the win. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> like, can you imagine if Luke Walton sat down in the huddle, looked at all five of his players? All right, guys. Lonzo, you got to go get the win. And then, all right, let's bring it in. I mean, like, what He should do he that. Expect? He should try that. He should try that and see if it – and just let everybody know afterwards. Like, I tried what LeVar said. It didn't work. Yeah. It's, uh, I, that's, why, that's why when we have these conversations about LeVar Ball, I think they're insane. I, 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 like, he has – you have to really – like, I was in the league. I had to – I, I think I didn't really understand the league until like my third or fourth year in the league. And I'm at every practice, every bus ride, every film session, every shoot around, er, on the bench. Like, I, I, I don't think, like, the general public has a hard time understanding, like, the culture of the NBA unless you're there all the time. You have to really be there all the time. Like, even for you as following, like, how long before after following these guys did you really say, like, all right, I start to get it now. This I mean, I think like I'm still guy. I'm still learning it to to a high degree. I mean, you, you get as you as you kind of peel back some of the layers on this job. Anyway, you you still yeah. you learn something new every year. I do anyway, and I've been doing this for now 15 years. And and so Lavar Ball comes in and he thinks he knows, and he thinks like because it's coming from a parent perspective, and people can identify with the parent perspective, and and so 
You know, like I know a lot of parents want like, is he like opening up like Pandora's box for like uncles and cousins to start having a platform for how great their son is or their cousin is or, or their uncle is or any of that stuff, right? I just, the whole thing to me is absolutely insane. I, I think it's insane that we continue to go back to it and talk about it like, like it's, like it's con, uh, content. It's not content. It's a parent talking about how great his son is. And, I mean, and then the idea that, like, LeVar Ball is father of the year and he just pulls his son out from UCLA and, like, pretty much ruins a $200,000 scholarship to UCLA. Mm. And, like, I mean, is is he going to get criticism for that? His other son is, like, pulled out of high school. Like, that's what – we make him out to being, like, the father of the year. But is it really? Like, you just – nobody thinks that his son can make it to the NBA, the second one. And you take him out of a scholarship, a full ride scholarship to UCLA. He steals in another country, and you dismiss it like it's nothing. Like that's father of the year. Come on. No, I I agree with that part of it. But but with the Lakers specifically, maybe you can you can provide some some context here. The, the fact that Lavar is criticizing Luke Walton and 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 saying certain things. I mean, how much of that does affect the locker room there? How much of it? You know, we use that word distraction in kind of this mm-hmm. in sort of ambi- ambiguous, ambivalent way. But how much of an issue is that if he's criticizing the coach? I'm, I'm Chris. I'm really not sure. And uh, we, uh, you know, I do the radio show with Frank Isola in the morning, and we were talking. I think, like my perspective of the NBA, where guys used to bust on guys left and right, used to bust chops, and you know, like the circles, and you're like, yeah. you're my age, right? You're, you're yeah. the same. Yeah. So. The circles that we run in, like it's a bunch of guys used to bust everybody because we grew up busting on all, all of our friends and stuff like that. From what I'm understanding nowadays is it is they do a little bit of it. It is nothing like it was like 10, 15 years ago. And it's even worse, like 20, 30 years ago with like Charles Oakley and those guys back in the Knicks. And, you know, like it's just a different generation. I don't. I don't know if guys are sensitive about it. I know like if I was a part of something like that, I would really only feel sorry for Lonzo, that's it. Like, man, I can't believe you got to deal with this. Like, of all the other stuff you got to deal with in the NBA, you got to deal with your dad popping off to the coach. I feel bad for you. But no way would I ever look at that as saying, like, like you know, most of the time when you have, like, a wife, you hear a wife, like, popping off about something. It's the husband going home telling the wife and the wife, you know, going out and telling uh, her friends or something like that. Like, this situation, this is his dad being nuts, and there's nothing that the kid can do about it. I feel really bad for him. And the other part of it, you know, I, I agree with you that the, you know, the the idea of these pulling Leangelo out of school is insane. Like, in Sham Sharani, our, our guy, reported that they're talking to EuroLeague teams about not just Leangelo, but LaMelo as well uh, playing over there. You know, this is an, an 18, 19-year-old kid that is, like you said, probably not going to have an NBA future, could use that time at UCLA to, hey, Look, there's no shame in playing four years of good college basketball and no. turning that scholarship into, you know, a sports management degree. Why doesn't he become like the ball family agent? I mean, no, Porzingis' no is brothers age. Brothers are agents yeah. all over the place. Like, yeah. why can't he start his own sports big baller brand sports management? Do that no question. if you're not going to make the NBA. This to me is 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 a catastrophic mistake. For Leangelo Ball, he should be staying at UCLA, staying in a four-year programming, and thinking hard about his future. This is Dad. I don't know what he's thinking, but he's hurting his middle child. I think. 
Yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I brought up today, I, I, I brought that exact same thing up. Bob Myers uh, gets out of UCLA, becomes an agent, and then ends up being uh, one of the better GMs of, of all time. I mean, he created, he put this yeah. team together. That's one of the best teams that we've ever seen. And it, I mean, like you're missing out on an unbelievable opportunity. For, forget, forget big baller brand representing my brother. How about being big baller brand? representing my brother and two other athletes out of UCLA, maybe grab yeah. a guy from USC, maybe grab a guy from Cal State, Irvine, Fullerton, whatever you want to do, expand your practice and just be like, use this platform. Not, not, not saying that he couldn't one day just like, you know, completely change who he is and become somehow, somehow, some way become an overseas player like Trajan Langdon, who is now at the front office in Cleveland doing his, or I'm sorry, in Brooklyn doing his thing. Like you're telling me you can't parlay this education at UCLA, this four-year basketball experience at UCLA, and your dad's going to strip that from you? I think as a kid, he's got to be like, no way, man. i got to stick with this. I, I, this is like a great opportunity for me, and i I got to be above what my dad wants to do and figure what's best for my life. And I, I know that's tough for kids, but you know what? Kids deal with tough adversity with parents all the time, and they figure out how to get get by. This is a bad move for his father to his son, and it's a bad move for his son allowing his father to dictate his life like this. The other part of it, too, Scal, and this sort of crystallized with me uh, when I was on Twitter with B- Boki Nakbar, Boston Nakbar tweeted at me after uh, the report came out of uh, Leangelo and, and Lamelo exploring uh, European opportunities. He said that Euroball is no joke. Many experienced players have failed, let alone young and not tested. So they might be talking to European teams, and undoubtedly they can find a team that would uh, take on uh, the Ball Brothers, but it's not like them going over there is a guarantee of success. There's a lot of older, more experienced players that are playing European basketball, and it's not NBA level, but European basketball is high-level basketball on many levels. And not only that, but they want like the humble kid. Like that's just the reality over there. They don't want the brash big baller brand. <laughs> that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for like players, like point guards that get paid over there, guys who average like 11 points and seven assists yeah. and they help you win and they're humble and they work hard every day and they don't steal handbags or sunglasses. Those, all those things like take come into play. So that's what they're looking for over there. They're not looking for like a 25-point-a-game scorer who loses games. Those guys don't get paid over there. I got a good example. Shane Larkin here was in a team in Spain. He sort of got out of his contract, but he was going to go to Real Madrid and get paid like $5 million a year because that was exactly what they're looking for. I think he averaged like 12-7 and seven last year, and that's what they wanted, and that's the guys that get paid. You don't, don't think it's going to be like some 19-year-old that has this big personality, and all of a sudden you can go over there and make millions of dollars. It doesn't work like that. You know what the other part of it is too is that these guys, these players, or sorry, these teams – they want guys that are committed to playing for their teams. How many times have we seen young players that these international coaches knew were going to go to the NBA and they wind up buried on the bench? You know, these these coaches are not going to like be part of the Leangelo and Lamelo Ball developmental process. Oh, no way. They're yeah. going to take guys that want to be part of their team long term and play them. If Leangelo thought being benched at UCLA was bad, imagine being benched in like Real Madrid or Barcelona or one of these other uh, cities that he might try to play in. Yeah, like really, 
him stealing that stuff in China really screwed him because China would have been the best place for him. I wouldn't they go anywhere really... near China if I was him. I mean, if, if he... Yeah, I no, mean, no question They'll rearrest him. They'll saying, rearrest him and then charge him again. But I'm saying, like, that is a place where they allow you to go over there and play and don't hold you accountable and they like to start them and you could be famous just because your brother, you know what I mean? Like, that, like I think, like, when you think about European basketball, I am not thinking, like, Leangelo Ball is going to be able to play over there and uh and 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 just with the idea and the attitude and all that stuff it's, it's going to be tough for him it's not as easy as you think i think china on the other hand would have been easy but they, he burnt that bridge yeah no question the ball family always fun to uh, uh tell to your producer i'm done I talking know. about i them. know that's it that's that's it the end scal next time you come back we'll uh we'll avoid any ball related topics i promise you got it Scal, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for joining me, and I uh, hope we can uh, do this again soon. Whenever you need a guest, you know you, know, you got my number. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Brian Scalabrini for joining the show. Remember, you can download Archive Podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, leave a comment, post a rating. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. He hasn't really distinguished himself. Chris is in desperate need of validation. I think your opinion is shared by everyone. So please, subscribe, like, comment. I, I would punch him. I, that's, that's just my opinion. At your earliest convenience in the iTunes store. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.